celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry, you are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. Coming to you from coast to coast to the world world via the World Wide Web. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast, celebrating over 10 years in podcasting and online ministry. Uh, we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas, and we, we welcome you to this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. And we are, believe it or not, uh, as in episode, excuse me, in episode 21 of our season, it is just unfathomable that we have have gone this far it's hard to believe that we're in the second day of march in 2023 this year is just already flying by and uh but we're so glad that you're with us uh, we hope that you're doing well wherever you may be and uh we we're so thankful that you you're with us here tonight on the bellator christie podcast uh if you're listening to the audio of it of edition of the bellator christie podcast we want to invite you to join us uh live every thursday night around eight o'clock sometimes it's around 8 10 p.m eastern time uh that would be 6 p.m mountain time uh as we uh, mentioned those two time zones because we're coming to you from uh montana and also north carolina coast to coast and so uh and so we, we want to welcome you if you are listening to the to the app we invite you to join us for the live show every thursday night uh we've got an exciting podcast tonight one we've been waiting for uh we were hoping to have on with us tonight dr chad thornhill uh to discuss romans chapter nine especially getting his expertise in uh, greek but unfortunately we couldn't work that out uh, because of scheduling conflicts but we do hope to get him on with us at some point later uh maybe even into um maybe even into season seven, but hopefully we'll get him on here very soon. Uh, we do have one more podcast on soteriology after this one uh, next week, and then week after next, March 16th, uh, Dr. T.J. Gentry will be on with us to discuss his upcoming book. And then we're changing gears. Believe it or not, that'll be the end of soteriology. Uh, we hope and pray, uh, even though it's been a lengthy uh, topic, it's been a lengthy uh, series on, on the season, yeah. this season six, uh, we do hope it's been a benefit to you. We're going to talk about theology a little bit, uh, get into it, a little bit of apologetics talking about uh, the revelation and knowledge of God as we conclude season six. We have a couple of uh, additional podcasts, or excuse me, episodes to bring to you as we uh, close out the season. And we'll have a recap in late May as we close out season six and prepare for season seven. Uh, and, and season seven will be coming to you in September of this year. Uh, just a few quick messages before we get into the content of our mess of our uh, podcast tonight. Again, tonight we're going to be discussing the corporate view of Romans chapter 9. Uh, you've probably heard Romans chapter 9 presented a certain way. We're going to give you another option. And in fact, we're, we're going to show you why this view, a, a lesser known view, may be more true to the context 
of uh, of the entire message of Romans, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. But a couple things. First of all, I want to mention, make mention uh, that uh, conversations about heaven has been uh, has been shipped over to the publisher to Whiff and Stock. Actually, resource publications and the imprint of Whiff and Stock. Same same. A publishing company that published Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. Haven't heard a release date, but I'll be I'll keep you up to date. Uh, I, I I would assume it would be released before this season is over, uh, but I'll keep you posted on that as uh, time progresses. Uh, also, I failed to mention last week uh, a, a very important uh, piece of news that most of you have probably already heard about, and that's about the passing of Dr. Mike Heiser. Uh, the ironic thing is that I released uh, the conversations about heaven a couple of hours after Dr. Heiser passed and didn't even know it. And I, th- I found that ironic. I found it uh, really compelling because Dr. Heiser wrote a lot about the unseen realm. He wrote a lot about heaven and divine counsel and he is experiencing the unseen realm even now as we speak. And so, um, so we just want to, just want to uh, commemorate him and, uh, and just uh, be much in prayer for his family. Um, I don't think I even introduced ourselves. Uh, I'm Brian Chilton. We have on with us the cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo. Uh, Curtis, do you want to say a few words? I know your voice isn't, uh, you've got kind of a yeah. cold today, so we don't want to, uh, we don't want to extend your voice too much, but um, <laughs> of course, I probably can talk enough for three people. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, um, my my voice might be a little extra baritone-ish today, um, and for whatever reason, just woke up and uh, dang near lost my voice this morning. I didn't know what was going on. It's like, well, maybe a gift to my wife. I don't know. So. <laughs> But yeah, no, we, uh, I, just, I had laryngitis one time and, and I think my wife celebrated that's the quietest the house has been in a long time. <laughs> uh, hilarious. Yeah. So we've got some, uh, we got some deep subjects, some deep topics here. Um, that's all part of this. And I think, uh, it'd probably be best if we just dove in. So we had some time to actually, uh, get in there. So. Um, folks, uh, bear with us. I'm not going to probably be reading, um, some of the stuff. Um, I'll be asking the questions and maybe engaging a little bit here and there, but I'll let Brian do most of the, most of the heavy lifting today. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's, the dude's got a strong back and I, I, folks, if you just knew how much of a power actually in physical shape um it would blow your mind um yeah <laughs> a volkswagen bug wouldn't stand a chance let's just say that <laughs> thank you sir you're too kind <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious anyway um so let's go into the first one here um what are the corporate and individual election views of election concerning romans 9 so um when we talk about Romans nine and, and we're going to actually read the entire chapter tonight as we go through the podcast, um, we're going to deal with some of the issues of Romans chapter nine. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen now. Uh, go ahead and pull up Romans nine, have it read for us. 
uh, for when we read uh, when we read the scripture here in a few moments. But uh, many people have come at Romans nine with the viewpoint that Paul is talking about individual election, and some of these passages of scripture we're going to read, quite frankly sound a little bit like individual election. And what I mean by that is the viewpoint that God predetermined from eternity past uh, which people decreed by his decreed will, which people would be saved and which people would not be saved by his own decision and without any human without an invitation for people to respond or reject to the Holy Spirit. So it's almost like if you were elected from eternity past to be saved, there's nothing you could do to change that. Um, or, or, or if you were condemned from eternity past, there's no amount of repentance you could do to change that. Uh, it's all a matter of God's decision and not ours. Now, granted, God is the first cause. He is pure actuality. Uh, we are creations. And some would argue, you know, who are we to say what God, God God can and can't do? And Paul even makes mention of that in Romans 9. But God made us free creatures. God gives us individual responsibility. He didn't make us robots. And so without rehashing that entire argument all over again, because that's what we've been doing for the past two or three months, uh, all I'll say is, is that those who hold that viewpoint contend that Romans chapter 9 uh, presents a case that people were chosen by God to be saved or to be condemned uh, without human responsibility. The corporate view, however, is another way of looking at Romans 9. The corporate view contends that Romans 9 is directed more towards God's selection of a group of people and more particularly to the point, Israel, because there was a big conversation. We'll talk about that as we go through the podcast as people, as Gentiles were coming to faith, what about the nation of Israel? Why did God choose Israel to bring forth the Messiah? Why were the Israelites the chosen people? This was a big question, uh, not only in Rome, but also uh, all across the first century world in, in Christianity, especially. So, but the corporate view contends that Romans 9 is directed more towards God's selection of Israel as being the chosen people to bring forth the Messiah. So in this case, the Israelites and the people of faith are in view. It's more of a group of people that's being discussed more so than an individual person uh, in the context of the passage of Scripture. And and um, so that those are the two views. Individual election or uh, is, is the is the is the mindset that Paul is speaking to individual predetermination or predestined corporate view is saying that Paul's talking about the uh, the election of a group of people to be part uh, or to to be called out or to be used even maybe even Israel to be used as his vessel to bring forth the Messiah and to save and offer salvation to the world. Yeah, and you said we're going to be reading that, so that'll be this will be uh, something that we, as we go through, you can be highlighting the points that you um, already pointed out there. Absolutely. So, uh, describe the topics surrounding Romans nine in the context of the book. Then, so one of the reasons I'm so glad I went to Liberty University and the schools that I did is that it was is that it was emphasized 
that not only in Scripture, but any writing, it's important to understand what the author intended rather than what we're reading into the passage of Scripture. In fact, there was a saying we were taught at Liberty School of Divinity, the plain sense is the best sense unless it becomes nonsense. In other words, the plain reading mm-hmm. of Scripture is is the best unless it make it, it's nonsensical because then you know it's metaphorical or allegorical in that sense. So you've heard us say before, heard other people say before, never read just a Bible verse, read Bible passages, read chapters, because it's in those chapters and surrounding chapters that you understand the proper context of what's being said. So in in Romans chapter 8, let's go back to Romans chapter 8, and you can see me flipping here. I'm not this, but I'm just going to pull it up for reference. In Romans chapter 8, Paul describes seven benefits that are in a person's salvation. In verses 1 through 3, it's there on your screen if you'd like to take a look at it. At chapter 8, Paul talks about the believer's position in Christ. In verses 4 through 14, Paul discusses the believer's relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, those who live according to the Spirit have their mindset on the things of the Spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. This is another benefit that comes by salvation. And in verses 15 through 17, uh, we see the adoption that we are adopted into uh, God's family. And so this is down in verses 15. Um, when you see there, he's talking about uh, uh, those who call Abba Father. These are God's children here. So this is the adoption into God's family. In verses 18 through 25, uh, he talks about the final redemption that's found in Christ. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us Uh, the glory in heaven. And then uh, in verses 26 and 27, uh, we see there's a benefit of a believer's new helper in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for us. We've talked about that before on the podcast, and he searches our hearts. In verse 28, we see the new assurance uh, that we have, uh, or purpose that we have, because we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. In verses twenty-nine through thirty-one, we see the benefit of the newfound love that nothing, not even death itself, can separate us from the love of God. Now, in mm-hmm. chapters nine through eleven, he, he, look, what he says here, "I speak the truth; I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit. A great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart." For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. So he switches gears in chapter 9, talking about the covenant people of God. That is, he's referencing the Israelites. Mm-hmm. He, Paul is an Israelite. Paul is of the tribe of, ben, I believe, Benjamin, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, he says in another passage of Scripture. So in chapters 9 through 11, Paul outlines God's relationship with Israel. In chapter 9, he looks at God's selection of Israel. Chapter 10 surveys the righteousness of God and Israel's rejection of him. It's in chapter 10, in fact, in chapter 10, verse 9, we see that classic creed that anyone who confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that God has raised him from the dead shall be saved. He makes mention in chapter 10 that the reason why Gentiles accepted 
were accepted in the family and some Israelites were rejected was because of that faith they placed in Christ, Gentiles placed in Christ, because they did confess with their mouth Jesus as Lord, and they did believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And then chapter 11 peers into Israel's future restoration. So chapters 9 through 11, as we see in, in verses 1 through uh, 4, 5 here, in fact, he switches gears. So the topic of conversation is on Israel and the nation of Israel. And many of the questions that his own countrymen had what about the promises given to the people of Israel what what's going on here? What what happened here to Israel? What about the people found of his own countrymen? Uh, so that is really the focus. Uh, that's really his focal point in these passages of scripture. Yeah, it just seems weird to pull chapter nine out of that and and apply it separately, something different, and then jump back to um, Israel in ten and eleven. So you you know just seeing the flow of nine through 11 seems it fits. And it really does. And and some people will say, well, and, and I even had a question as I was going through this. What about in chapter 10? Because chapter 10, he's talking about the individual uh, re- repentance of people. He's talking about, well, like Romans 10, nine. Uh, well, let me just, let's flip on down to it here real quickly. Romans 10, nine, we have the scripture up here. Uh, so he says, brothers and sisters, my heart and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. For whose salvation? For Israel's salvation. Chapter 9 is focused on Israel. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's focused on them. He says, I testify about them that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So he says there's something not quite right with the relationship of his countrymen uh, at that period of time. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, now, it's easy for us to take a look at chapter 9 and forget about chapter 10. But if you read it completely with the flow of it all, look back what he says. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then he gives the way in which a person comes to faith. This is the message of faith, verse 8, that we proclaimed, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A conditional statement, as we've mentioned before, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. But since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now, that's a huge point because in chapter nine, he's talking about Israel and the distinctions between Israel and and Gentiles, uh, Jews and Gentiles. But now he says in Christ, There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. Mm -hmm. Talk about a mic drop moment. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there he quotes uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Right. And, um, you know, like we talked last week about faith, um, that word also can be uh, allegiance, you know, and allegiance too. So when you're reading this, those that confess Jesus as Lord, that's not only a faith, but that's an allegiance. I confess yep. Christ as my Lord. 
Absolutely. Taking up the banner of Christ. You know, a lot of times in uh, not only first century, but in antiquity, uh, whenever people went to war, they would they would have the banner up front, hanging the banner front. And this means that my allegiance is to what that banner represents. And like matter, the Lord is our banner. Christ is our banner. Uh, He is our representation. And so uh, that is where our allegiance lies. Powerful. So. What are the nine advantages of election, and and who does Paul have in mind in Romans 9, 1 through 5? Okay, so let's look at this verse by verse, and the nine, uh, the nine advantages of election are found in verses 4 and 5. And if you'd like to get grab a piece of paper and a pencil or pen, we encourage you to write these down. Excuse me. Uh, so, but first of all, let's take a look at verse, and we're going to go exegetically, verse by verse, through this through this chapter tonight, and and with keeping the context, the overall context, the overall message of what Paul has in mind. So, first of all, in verses one through three, we see Paul is grieved over Israel. He says, "I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart." For I, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefits of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. There he's switching gears talking about Israel. And he says they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. The ancestors are theirs, and from them by physical descent came the Christ, who is God over all, praised forever. Amen. So the nine benefits, first of all, in verse four, we see the benefit of a special nation. Uh, Notice he says they are Israelites. They are a special nation. In verse four, the second section, and also in verse five, we see that they were adopted by God. God adopted this nation to use as a conduit, as you're going to see here, to bring forth Christ. And also, if you go back in the uh, Old Testament, you see that God's intentions were to use Abraham and Israel as an evangelistic means to reach right. the world. Uh, he was yep. using them uh, to to tell the world about about who he was to redeem the world from these false gods and goddesses. So they were adopted by God. Number three, in verse four, the third part of verse four, God's glory is revealed. Uh, the glory was revealed to them. Uh, also, we see in verse four. They had the benefit. The fourth benefit was the covenants. God had a personal covenants with Israel, and it's through Israel we learn about the new covenant found in Christ. We also see that he gave them the law, the giving of the law, which is a fifth benefit. The sixth benefit was the temple service or their worship. Uh, worship itself was a benefit found uh, by being the chosen people. They had messianic prophecy, and they ultimately had uh, the 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 messianic prophecy after uh, or the promises. Ultimately, messianic pro- mm-hmm. promises, but then promises of redemption later on. They also had the ancestry. The ancestry was theirs, uh, going back with the heroes of the faith, recorded in pages of scripture, and they were the the people of the Messiah. It was through this this group of people that God chose to bring forth the Messiah uh, from from this nation. So there were benefits being part of the chosen people that Paul spells out in verses four and five. Hmm. 
Hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. Um, and going back to this, it it shows that they were used as evangelistic and and used as um, a basically a, a shining light. You know, it says in there. Light of the world, you're the light of the world, so on and so forth. But it also, if we also remember, Peter tells us we're a royal priesthood. We are. Well, mm-hmm. where did he get that idea? He get got that idea from the Old Testament view of Israel being a royal priesthood, of showing people to God. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then, but explain. so many times, so, I'm okay. sorry, real quick. So many times, the, the people uh, became a lot like Jonah, who was called mm-hmm. to go to Nineveh, but yeah. he didn't want to go to Nineveh, and so God had to send the the great fish, the whale, most likely, to swallow Jonah to get him on the right track. And so um, th- that that serves. I mean, I believe the story literally happened, but it was almost yeah, it was also yeah. allegorical of the people where they were to be used by God to to reach the world. But like we all do, I mean, it's, I guess it's human nature. We we tend to build walls around ourselves and we don't want to go out that those walls of comfortability and comfort, comfort, comfortability. And so uh, I think they did the same thing in many ways. Yeah. Well, and how many times you're going to get beat down, you know? So, yeah, exactly. So explain why explain what Paul sets out to do in Romans 9, 6 through 29 then. Okay, so keeping in mind what he's doing here, he's looking at Israel as the adopted family of God used as a vessel to reach the world. That's what that's what the intention was. And he talks about the benefits that come through this adoption that came uh, this this selection that God had of Israel to use him to bring forth his revelation, to bring forth all these different things. There were the benefits, and Paul said that he would, if he could, uh, cut himself off from salvation to, to see that his whole people would be redeemed. And that's quite a claim for Paul to make, that he had a deep compassion and concern for his people. So in verses 6 through 29, we see that Paul offers five examples of Israel's divine election. Now, here again, remember, Israel is the one that is the focus, is the focal point of this passage. So we first of all look at verses 6 through 10. We see the example of Ishmael versus Isaac. God chose to go with Isaac rather than Ishmael meaning that he chose to go a certain way with a nation over against another. So now it is not as though the word of God has failed because people are again wondering, what about Israel? What about the promises given to Israel? He says it's not as if the word of God has failed because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. This is so very important to understand. Not everyone who is of Israel is of Israel because there's that spiritual Israel. Not is it the case that all are of Abraham's children, or that all that are of Abraham's children are his descendants or seed? On the contrary, you're all traced through Isaac. Okay, keeping in mind, Isaac was the lineage here. That is, so so you had you had some who was born of Abraham, but the lineage went through Isaac. That is not of the children of physical descent who are God's children, but the children of the promise are considered to be the offspring. 
For this is the statement of the promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son, uh, referencing Genesis 18, 10 and 14. And not only that, but Rebecca conceived children through one man, our father, Isaac. For though her sons had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to election might stand, not from works, from, from the one who, uh, who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Now, there's a couple of things there. First and foremost, God made the decision to go with a certain people. That didn't mean that everybody who was part of this nation of Israel, as Paul says already, are of that spiritual descendant uh, descent. Not everybody who is of Israel is saved, so to speak, because not only not all of them have professed faith in in God or professed faith in Christ. Now he goes on down here. It also says in verse thirteen, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now here, here's something very important to remember. In Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, the ancient biblical languages, the word love and hate were often used to mention degrees. Jesus does the same thing. Jesus says anyone who doesn't hate father, mother, sister, brother, so on and so forth is unworthy of me. Now, does he mean that we physically, that we truly loathe and hate and despise our families? Well, of course not. That goes against biblical ethics. What he's saying, what he's saying there is our love and devotion for God should be so high that uh, everything pales in comparison. And so like in like manner, this comparative language is used in verse 13. It doesn't mean that God did not hated Esau eternally and, and Esau couldn't do differently. It means that Jacob had a covenant relationship with God. Esau didn't. So there was that relational love through Jacob but not through Esau. So that's very important to remember. Uh, here again, he's quoting Malachi 1, uh, 2, and 3. So the first example is Ishmael and Isaac. The second example is Je- Esau uh, and Jacob. Okay, well, we read that, and that's in 13. Ishmael and Isaac, 6 through 10. Uh, Esau and Jacob, 11 through 13. The third example is in verses 14 through 24, and this is Pharaoh versus Moses. He says, what should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Again, remember what's going on at this time. Some people were wondering, why is it that Gentiles are coming into the fold? Why is it that Gentiles are allowed to be part of the family of God? Well, again, God is extending mercy to all, uh, but but he had his his right to have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Here again, he's talking about the choice to use Israel uh, for his intended purposes. He's not talking about salvation. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason so that I might display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Now, let's pause right there. If you go back in Exodus and read that passage of scripture, Paul has this in mind. Paul most likely memorized this passage of scripture. He knew this well. The scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart 
by extending grace to him. Now, it doesn't say extending grace to him, but we see that's what happens. It's when God extended grace to him that the scripture says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So how did God harden Pharaoh's heart? He showed grace to Pharaoh, and it was Pharaoh's choice to harden his heart after God extended grace to him. So God's grace going out to all uh, will soften and will harden, but it's that free response uh, to God's uh, God's grace given that truly brings forth those results. Now, does God know the full results of what's going to happen? Absolutely, most assuredly. But that still doesn't remove the freedom we have to to respond. So let's go on to verses uh, nineteen through twenty four. You will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? What will, will what is formed say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Again, remember, nationality is in question here. Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? And what if God, wanting to display his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience? Objects of wrath prepared for destruction. And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory on us, the ones he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Okay. And then, um, so here, granted, there's a lot in that passage of scripture that could easily be uh, interpreted according to the uh, Calvinist paradigm. But if you keep in mind the overarching theme of what's going on, we see that the true intent here is that he didn't choose the Edomites. He chose the Israelites. He didn't choose to go through Ishmael. He chose to go through Isaac. He didn't choose to go through Egypt and the Pharaoh. He chose to go through Moses. So there are many people in this time, they're wondering, um, Gentiles were wondering, well, does it make the Israelites better believers because we're not of Israel? And Israelites are wondering, well, why is God allowing in the Gentiles? Keeping in mind that, that in the backdrop of your minds as you're reading this, we see that he's really talking more about this group of people God is choosing to use. And God does have the sovereign choice to use anyone he pleases uh, for the task that he calls them to do. And so in this case, Pharaoh still had the free will decision to harden his heart. And so there's a lot that goes into this. So I think we have to be really careful taking a verse and, and taking it out of context and applying it over uh, to every other passage of Scripture. We've got to be really careful. Now, there's a fourth thing we see here in verses 25 and 26, and that's with Hosea and the inclusion of Gentiles. Don't forget this here, okay? So on us, the ones he also called not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles, as it also says in Hosea, I will call not my people my people, and she who is unloved, beloved, Hosea 2.23. And it will be in the place where they were told, you are not my people. There they will be called the sons of the living God. And here he's quoting Hosea 1.10. Okay, so here, looking at the overall context of the chapter, Paul says that uh, through Hosea, it was even prophesied 
that there, that God would reach out into the Gentiles, reaching out into the world, bringing people in into the adopted family of God, those who originally were not his people, but they are now called beloved. They are called his people. And then lastly, the fifth example is found in Isaiah and the saved remnant in verses 27 through 29. And uh, he goes on down to say, but Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of Israelites is like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved since the Lord will execute his sentence completely and decisively on the earth. Here he's quoting uh, or land. Uh, he's quoting uh, Isaiah 10, 22 through 23. And you can see 28, 22, Hosea 1, 10 there as well. And just as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. So in other words, if God had not extended his grace to us and to the world, the entire world would have come like Sodom and Gomorrah. And quite frankly, that's where the, where the world is heading anyhow. Uh, but God is saving a remnant people. He's saving a remnant from that destruction. Uh, and how does that remnant come? Go on down here to 10.9. He tells you. One who believes with the heart, uh, excuse me, one who uh, confesses with the mouth Jesus is Lord and believes in the heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can't read nine without 10. You've got to read them both together. That's right. You know, when I'm talking to people about, uh, you know, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, I, I always, you know, ask, excuse me i always ask well who hardened pharaoh's heart and and without fail it always turns out well god hardened his heart no 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 pharaoh had free will choice to turn and reject god Mm -hmm. so as he rejected god his heart then became hardened it's no different than in romans 1 Absolutely. When when it says God turned them over to their own lustful desires. Yep. Amen, brother. So then, so then, um, what does Paul conclude then in Romans nine thirty through thirty three? We were just about there. So he makes two important conclusions from this discussion, and and here again, it's. Th- if nothing else, I hope this shows the importance, whether you agree with me or not, agree with Curtis and I or not. I hope you see the importance of reading sections instead of just single verses. So he first of all argues that the Gentiles found righteousness through faith. Verse 30, what should we then, what should we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness. How? Romans 10, 9. Namely, the righteousness that comes from faith. They freely place their faith and trust in Christ as God provided grace. They responded to the grace given to them. Okay. And then, uh, then he also says, Israel has not found righteousness due to a lack of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not achieved the righteousness of the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, look, I am putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. And the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. 
Romans chapter 9 ends with an evangelistic evangelistic call to people to respond to the grace of God. Yeah. Because <laughs> he quotes Isaiah 8.14 and Isaiah 28.16. The, the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. So the question here again is, why did God choose Israel? And if God chose Israel to bring forth the Messiah, with all these benefits included, uh, what about the what about the Gentiles coming in? So it really has a lot to do with uh, the the uh, Paul's reflection on chosen people of God, why God chose Israel rather than another another nation or another ethnicity why did god choose them well paul says it was his sovereign choice to do uh and and who are we to question god's decision talking about uh he's not going to say something of an individual election to say that uh even if the scripture teaches it in other places which which i don't believe it does I'm not at all convinced that Romans 9, even though there are passages that could easily be understood that way, I'm not at all convinced that Romans 9 teaches individual election. I think he's talking about uh, a corporate view. I think he's talking about the nation of Israel. Yeah, 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 I I would have to tend to agree. So back up there um, with 930, and it says um, righteousness that comes from faith. What's that? Is that pistis, the faith there? Is that what that is? That last word before 31? Okay, let's take a look here. Um, yes, uh, pistuos, uh, it comes by faith. It, it's, it's the root word. The root word is pistis, you see there. Uh, mm-hmm. So it has that allegiance. It has that notion mm-hmm. of allegiance. We'll pull this up here to believe on the extent of complete trust and reliance in, to have confidence in, to have faith in, to trust, to have faith, or as you mentioned, to to form an allegiance toward someone or something. So that that kind of changes, not just um, uh, a a just a willful mind ascent of faith, but an actual turning and choosing. Well, if it's mm-hmm. a turning and if it's a turning and choosing, is that not a free will choice? Then it, it's a free response. It's a free response to God's grace freely given. God being the prime mover, the first mover. God issuing that grace, and then we being the recipients of that grace, having the choice to respond to the grace of God or reject the grace of God. And even notice here the uh, word katalambano, uh, th- which is translated obtained righteousness, to acquire with the implication of significant effort, uh, the effort in this case being the effort of responsiveness, uh, if you keep it in mind. Because, again, keep Romans ten nine in in mind as well, because this is only a few verses down. And also remember, when this book was originally written, it wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was all written as one big document, uh, and it wasn't divided by chapters and verses. So the contents of what we designate as nine was right there together with the contents that we designate as chapter 10. Right. Powerful when we start looking at it that way. So 
um, examining the contents of cha- uh, of the chapter and its overall position in the theme of Romans, does Romans 9 teach individual election or corporate election? I think is that if we if we look at the totality of the message uh, in chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 all placed together, in looking at the, the overarching content of Paul's message, I think he is talking about the corporate election of God to use Israel as the chosen people um, because it was God's sovereign choice to choose Israel. Now, could God have chosen another nationality or another group of people? Of course. Sure. Of course. But that's what Paul means. That was God's decision to make. Why did God choose Israel and not another nation? Here again, who are we to ask? (laughs) (laughs) Who are we to ask? I mean, mean, because I've just recently uh, did a um, an ancestry search and found out that uh, I'm like sixty six percent. I thought I was half Irish. Come to find out, I'm only one percent Irish. Sixty six percent English slash German Dutch. Uh, and then I'm also another twenty percent Scandinavian. Twenty <laughs> percent Scandinavian. That means I have Viking blood. I never knew that. I never well, knew that. That, that explains now, why you really... can lift the Volkswagen. <laughs> Maybe it's coming from uh, Scandinavian roots. I don't know, but. Uh... <laughs> But, you know, I mean, you think back about the Vikings and, you know, they were they were conquerors and things of that nature. But, you know, it would be cool to say, you know, that you had I had a lineage with uh, Israel or something like that. Um, But God didn't choose to uh, to uh, to give me a part of that bloodline, to my knowledge. I mean, there may be. Uh, some connections that I'm not aware of, uh, you know, but but God didn't choose to to link me with that bloodline. But does that make me better or the worse for it? No, that's Paul. That's whole, that's Paul's point. Yeah. God has a reason for creating us in the time, place, and positions that He did. And who are we to question God's choice to make us who we are, to place us in the situations we are? And who are we to question God's choice to use Israel as opposed to a different nationality? Again, I really think when you look at the overarching themes of chapters eight, nine, ten, and eleven, it really it, it really makes an impact on how you interpret chapter nine. Mm-hmm. Brings to light the the scripture um, that that states, you know, for such a time as this, you know, you were created for brought into this world for such a time as this. Absolutely, absolutely. So, with this in mind, how should we? Uh, interpret Romans nine eleven through twenty four. Then, well, going back here, the this is the ask. This is the area where we really see contention. Um, the whole Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Again, we described that as we went through there. It's paired of comparative languages being used um, because Jacob had that covenant relationship with God. Uh, his, his relationship was stronger than it was. Than Esau's relationship with God, because remember, God approved Jacob's offering. He didn't approve of uh, what? Well, no, am, am, am I thinking wrong? Uh, yeah. Well, nonetheless, Jacob was given the uh, the birthright. Esau wasn't. Uh, did it mean that God despised Esau? No. It just means that he chose to go through 
Jacob's lineage. I think I was thinking of uh, Cain and Abel uh, talking mm-hmm. about the offerings, but but yeah. the birthright is the thing that's in mind there with Jacob and Esau. Uh, and then you go over to um, where it says uh, he will have mercy on who he wants to have mercy and hardens whom he wants to harden. Again, there's multiple things going on here. If you go back to Exodus, you see that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God extended grace to him. But did God know that Pharaoh would harden his heart? Of course. And that's why God sovereignly moved through these circumstances and situations, because he had chosen to use Israel as his people. And so that his name would be proclaimed in the entire world. Again, remembering that Israel was chosen for evangelistic means. So if we again, if we understand even coming down to verse 19, what then does he why then does he still find fault for who resists his will? Who are we to a human being talk back to God? Um, so the, 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 there's multiple things going on here. Remember, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So I guess the question here would be, why did God choose to bring about these events to to uplift Israel? Well, that was God's decision to use Israel as uh, as the as the means to w- by which to bring the Messiah and to reveal and proclaim His name into the world. Um, so, there's if you understand those passages of Scripture uh, according to the context of the section, it really helps us understand, or it really enlightens us to be able to see what the primary intention of Paul was. In those verses. Now, does that mean that clears up every detail? No, not really. I mean, there's some other details that we would have to flesh through, but uh, but I do think it gives us a greater understanding about uh, the, the authorial intent behind what Paul was trying to proclaim. Right. So then, additionally, what does this explain uh, or the explore uh, this exploration show about the importance of keeping a passage of scripture? In its proper context, then. I think, as we've shown tonight, understanding first and foremost that the Bible was not written in chapters and verses, that came much, much later in the history of the Bible. This this would have been written as one big book. When it was first presented, it was read in totality. So chapters, what we identify as chapter nine is connected with chapter 10. We want to make, we want to make these sections and divisions. But when it was written, all of this was together. So chapter 10 fleshes out what we find in chapter nine. And again, even the end of chapter nine tells us that uh, the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Uh, and then again, Romans 10 nine, we've already read that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This proclamation was given because of what God was doing. So here again, I think this should show the the importance of reading chapters, reading sections, and not Large. just individual verses. That's right. Because unfortunately, we can twist the Bible to say anything we want it to say. I mean, let's take a look over it uh, real quickly, just, just out of fun. Let's take a look at Psalm 14. Uh, look right here. It says there's no God. Now, if you take that one little section right here, there's no God. You can tell people the Bible says there's no God. But is that what is that what David's saying? No. Yeah. He says the fool says in his heart there is no God. So Who does? Again, proper context is is key in interpreting yep. the passages sure. of scripture. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It, I, I, I read, uh, last year I went through the whole Bible, um, in my Bible reading program and I read without, um, verses. And, um, when I got to the New Testament, I read it without chapter and verse. So, um, it was very, um, it, it, it was completely different reading than I've ever read before. Um, I only read with the chapters in the Old Testament just to, just to track where I was because, you know, when you get into second Kings and first Kings and then Chronicles and second Chronicles and so on and so forth, it's virtually the same thing. It's just story told after another story, mm-hmm. but it, it, so being able to keep track of where you were at with that, that's, that was really only reason I did that. Doing it without the chapter and verse is really hard to stop reading <laughs> when you start reading. So, yeah, it, it takes on a whole different, whole different uh, view. Absolutely. So, well, there it is, folks. Um, we dug through Romans nine. I made it through with uh, still having somewhat of a voice, and uh, Brian. Just figured out he's not Irish, so um, <laughs> there we are. <laughs> so, but we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and becomes a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and become a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, Soldier on, on friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evalo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristi.com. If you enjoy the Bellator Christie podcast, why not join us for the live taping of the show? This show is recorded every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And to catch the live show, consider going over to youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. We hope to see you there.